0: Well, Northside family, good to be with you today. My name is Nate, one of the pastors, want to welcome you. And can we just thank God for an incredible moment this morning to worship. Love that song, really in the power of Christ we stand. And this is a series we're doing called Saints and Struggles because when you and I become a follower of Jesus, he changes us with his grace and we get to become, we move from sinner to saint. But here's the thing, even though you become a saint in Christ, you and I still struggle and we still have things that we deal with and there's still temptations and things that we've got to work through. And that's what this whole series is all about is just being real with our struggles and allowing the power of Christ to meet us there and to transform us. And uh, Luke just did a great job. Luke DeMarzo, he's a worship pastor from Las Vegas who's great friends with Sam Hancock, uh, who is on sabbatical for the next couple weeks. Uh, One of the rules that we have on our staff is this, after uh, after seven years of serving on our ministry team, you get a six-week sabbatical just to be refueled, to go learn, to just have your heart refreshed. And uh, sometimes I know when people are gone, you're like, I wonder how they're doing. And then you hear that everything went great. And then you're like, so you didn't miss me? (laughs) You know, and uh, Hancock, I just want to say, if you're tuning in right now, we miss you and we love you, buddy. All right. And uh, I want to let you know, if you know Sam, our worship leader, uh, just send him an email or text, just encourage him. Because what we need is this, we need to be people that encourage one another. Hebrews chapter three says it this way. It says, daily encourage each other, daily lift each other up so that our hearts don't become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, we need the encouragement of each other as we face our struggles, as we go through life. And I want to do something here. We know in a couple of weeks, school's going to let out, uh, but I just want to, I kind of want to beat everybody to the punch. Uh, if you are a teacher or you are an administrator at any of our schools in our area, would you just stand up real quick? And uh, we just want to cheer you on. We see Peyton, I see you, buddy calling you out, my man, all the way in the back up here. Leslie, see you. Just everybody across the room. Hey, we just want, we know you guys get a bunch of negative emails, and we want you to be lifted up here, all right? Uh, And here's what we want to remind you it's this, is that God is doing a good and holy work through your everyday life. And we know as teachers and administrators, sometimes there are struggles that you've got to navigate in the classroom. There's struggles that you've got to navigate, but you just need to know that your heavenly father is doing a good work. And that's why we want to be honest in this series, because we do have struggles. And this is what I know as I just reflect, as we cheer on teachers, this is what I know about any teacher that's made a deep impact on my life. It's this, they weren't just about the information that they were teaching me. Here's what I knew, it's this, it's that they wanted me to become a better person. It was like, yeah, I'm going to teach you this, but I really want, Nate, I want you to become a healthier person. I want you to grow in this. And this is what I found, is it wasn't just about the information, it was really about my transformation. In this series, when we started a couple weeks ago, I put this image up on the screen. It's It's an image of the iceberg that I was introduced to by a book by Pete Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's this image that says this, oftentimes we want to transform our lives. The only problem is this, we always pay attention to the surface. We try to become a little bit better on the surface. Maybe maybe this week you're trying to, your, your goal is just, I just wanna cuss a little bit less. You're like, I'm still gonna cuss, I'm just gonna cuss less, right, you know? Or you're like, man, I, I, just, I just wanna drink less. And, and here's what happens, we just stay on the surface and, and we try to change things on the surface. And then next week we come back and we go, how'd you do You're like, actually I did worse, right? <laughs> and because I thought about it more and so I did it more. And then you're like, maybe I need to come to Saturday service and Sunday service. And do you have a Wednesday night service? Because man, in the middle of the week, I really lose my way and what happens is this we just begin to pay attention to the surface of our lives this is what Jesus says if you want to change the outside starts on the inside starts on the deep waters it starts in those things a lot of times we don't want to talk about or we don't want to acknowledge but Jesus even says stuff like this out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks and man we want to speak life we want to encourage and he goes great you want to speak life Here's how you speak life. You allow my life to speak into the deepest waters of your heart and your soul. This is how real change comes about, is that you and I become honest with our struggles. And today we're going to look at a man in 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. It's in the Old Testament. He's a prophet that God raised up. His name is Elijah. And here's the thing about Elijah. It's this. Oftentimes we hear the story of Elijah. Maybe you've never heard the story. But God has something deeply profound to speak into us through his life. But this is what we know about Elijah. A lot of people think about Elijah as just this mountaintop guy. Because here's what happens. God raises him up as a prophet. He faces and confronts the evil king Ahab who was ruling Israel but wouldn't worship God. God raises his um, him up to speak into his life. He prays that God wouldn't bring rain for three years to get King Ahab's uh, attention. And God brings a drought on the land to teach Ahab. A lesson. I'm like, man, I wish I could pray like that, right? You know, pray and the drought comes. And then this is how Elijah dies. He doesn't die. God sends a chariot and takes him into heaven. I'm like, how cool is that? Right, And then you read about Elijah in the New Testament at the transfiguration where Jesus is about ready to go to the cross. And he goes to pray with a couple of his disciples. And what happens is this. As he's praying, it says that the the Spirit came and Moses and Elijah was there. And here's all we think about with the life of Elijah is this. He's just living on the mountaintop. He's nothing like me. And I'm I'm nothing like him. He doesn't have any struggles. What's between two mountaintops? valley here's what we oftentimes don't talk about but where god worked the most in elijah's life it wasn't just in the mountaintop which god did it's this and this is what we're going to look at today is this god worked in the valley of elijah here's the struggle that elijah had it's depression see oftentimes here's what i grew up in a church it's this I don't know what type of church you maybe grew up or didn't grow up in, but this is what I I found a lot of times in church is this. We never talked about depression, and and can I just let you know why? A lot of times as pastors, and I'll just confess this, we don't feel like we're professionals, and so if we don't feel like a professional, we just won't talk about it. But what you find, and this is why we got to read God's word is this. God begins to talk about the struggles that Elijah faces and that you and I face And so you need to know today, if maybe you're battling with depression here, you need to know today that God wants to meet you in your struggle and God is for you. And what we're going to find in the life of Elijah is this, that God does some of the best work in the darkest places. And you have a God who wants to meet you there, even when you feel like it might be your darkest moment. And so we want to remove the stigma of depression because we find people that God uses experience this. And I want to be very clear today. I'm not going to resolve everything or be able to cover every area of depression, but I want to let you know this. We've created, our team has done an incredible job here of creating resource after resource for you today. Uh, one, I had a chance. You're going to find it's already on social media, or you can go to mynorthside.com uh, slash depression, and there's a bunch of resources there. I got a chance to interview. Uh, we have some Christian psychologists in our church, Dr. Aaron and Ryan Baker. I had a chance to interview you them and go a whole lot deeper. We have parent resources because here's what we know. This won't be a one and done sermon on depression and go, everybody got it? Good. All right, now get out of here, right? You know, it's like, here's what we know. This is going to be something that we're all going to have to face. And this is going to be something that we're going to have to learn how to deal. Here's what I learned about depression. There's actually two different kinds. Some people in this room, and maybe you experienced this or you had a family member, it's this. You had a family member or yourself dealt with chemical depression, that became clinical. And there's also a spiritual and a physical depression that can happen in our lives. And oftentimes, here's what happens when depression comes in. Here's what I've been learning. When depression comes in, it feels like this weight. And then what happens is we can't see the future. And so we feel overwhelmed and it puts us into despair. And some of you going, Nate, uh, I, I I don't have that. I, what does today have to do with me here's what I want to encourage you It's this. here's what we're going to find in Elijah's life when he was in the valley not only did God meet him there but he brought the prophet Elisha along with him see here's the purpose of the church it's this you may not be dealing with depression today but I guarantee you this you're going to run into somebody who is and God is saying I want to work through you to bring my light into their darkness See, this is the joy that we have as the church is that we don't, wanna, we don't run away from the darkness, but the church is to run into the darkness. The church is to take the light of Christ into the world. And a lot of times, even with depression, we may not say the word depression, but this is what we know. We, we might say stuff like this, man, I just, uh, I'm just not right. I remember for me, uh, one of the darkest moments that I experienced was actually when I was at Bible college. I've had some people say stuff like this to me, uh, that depression is just a result of lack of faith. And I kind of want to debunk that for a moment, okay? Uh, The the darkest time that I experienced in my life that the Lord met me, I was at Bible college. It was between my freshman and sophomore year. And uh, you could get scholarships to go towards your tuition if you signed up to work what they called camp teams. And for eight weeks, you would go and work church camp with junior high kids. You really needed to be called by the Lord for that, right? You know what I'm saying? Like You're like, that sounds crazy. And uh, what was happening was this. I remember I-, I made the camp teams. And for eight weeks, what we did was this. We, would, we just ministered to junior high and high school kids. And it was phenomenal. We saw kids get baptized. We saw kids going to ministry. And here was my goal. Going into church camp was this. God, at the end of the summer, I don't want to have anything left in the tank. I I want to just pour myself out. I want to give myself away. God, I want to see these kids come to know you. And I poured everything I had out. And then I came back to Bible college. And here's what happened. As soon as school started, man, they started loading you up with homework. Right? Imagine that. Homework at college. Right? And, And I remember coming back and I started having all this work to do. And then something began to happen in me. You know, for me, I love people. I get fired up around people. Man, I'll talk to a wall, right? I'll be like, how'd you get here? And, and you know, I'm like, ooh, what color is that? A deep mauve? Wow, you know, like, like I, just, I, just, I love people. I love to chat. And here's what happened that sophomore year. I came back, I didn't like people. <laughs> Turns out, it's not a good thing to be a pastor and not like people, right? Like, like that's kind of a required thing. But something was beginning to happen in me and I didn't know it at the time, but here's what was happening. I was burning out and I was burning out doing good things. And it wasn't because I was doing the wrong thing. It was this, you ready? I wasn't doing things in the right order. Turns out when you empty your tank and you never take time to refill, I don't care what you're doing. You're on the road to burnout. That's why oftentimes, even if you're you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're tuning in, you're not a Christian. This is why, this is what I found. Depression doesn't show favoritism. Depression can show up in anywhere, in any facet of life when you and I begin to get the things out of order. And I remember one time at Bible college, man, I, I, I never knew what depression was. And, and I just remember, and this is all I could say. I remember calling my parents, talking to them. And I was like, something's not right. I Like, I don't like what's happening on the inside. I don't like how I'm treating people. I don't like what I'm saying. I don't like, something's not right. That's all I could say. Came home, went and met with the doctor. We began to talk about it. He just said, he goes, Nate, you're exhausted and it's leading you to have some deep and dark thoughts that aren't healthy. And we began to walk some step back and, and put some things in place and begin to slow down for a bit and to recover. And what we're going to find in Elijah's story today is this, is he needed to begin to recover because he had some mountaintop experiences. But in this moment, specifically in 1 Kings chapter 19, he finds himself in a valley. And the good news for Elijah and what we're going to find today in 1 Kings 19 and the good news in that moment of my darkest life, even when I was at Bible college doing good spiritual things, this is what I found is this, is that God... Still wants to meet me right where I am. And all God asked Elijah to do here in First Kings 19, and what God wanted me to do, it was this, was just simply to be honest with where I was, because God wants to meet you and I right there. And that's what He does here in First Kings chapter 19. God meets Elijah right where he is. He comes off this mountaintop moment uh, in 1 Kings chapter 18. I encourage you to read it this week. It's this incredible scene where where Elijah confronts King Ahab and he says, This. He says, You're the king of Israel, but you worship the God of Baal. You don't worship Yahweh. And he said, Let's prove who's God. And they had like a showdown. And he goes, you build an altar and put a bull there. I'll build an altar to Yahweh. And whosoever God sends fire from heaven is really God. Part of me is like, Elijah, you sure you want to do that, my man? Like, you know, I don't know how that will work out. And what's amazing is this. King Ahab's like, let's do it. And they begin to pray to the God of Baal and nothing happens all day long. And they're praying and and Elijah begins to taunt him. He goes, hey, why don't you send him an Instagram message, right? You know, why don't you DM him, right? Maybe make him wake him up. And he just starts taunting Ahab over and over again. Nothing happens. And then Elijah prays, God, you are the true God. And what happens is this, God sends fire from heaven. And not only does he consume the altar and the sacrifice, Elijah had poured bucket after bucket of water. And this is what the passage says, that it licked up all the water. And what's amazing is this, there was this mountaintop moment where it's like, no, God is the only true God. He's the only one worth following. That's why we follow Jesus. He is the one true God. He is the one who is with us in our darkest moment. The only thing was this, after that moment, Elijah began to pray in 1 Kings chapter 18. You know, he had prayed for a drought for three years, fire falls. He proves that God is God and he begins to pray that God would bring rain and God begins to bring rain. And in verse 45, this is what it says. It says, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. It's like 17 miles away. Ahab lost, he's like, I'm out of here. And then it said, the power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. He outruns the chariot. And sometimes I pray something this. I'm like, God, how'd you bless them so much? And you didn't bless me like that, right? You know, how can he call down fire? How can he pray to close up the clouds? And how can he outrun horses for 17 miles, right? And, and this is just who Elijah is. He's full of God's power. It's incredible. But then right after that, in chapter 19, verse one, it says this, now Ahab had told Jezebel, his wife, Everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah and said, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. Jezebel goes, oh, he killed all the prophets of all. Well, I'm gonna kill him. And it's like, well, God just brought fire. He brought rain. You're good. God's going to take care of you. But listen what Elijah does in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now part of me resonates with that because I've had some women yell at me before in my life. And it can be like, uh-oh, I've done something wrong, right? But here's what happens. It's not that. There's something deeper going on in Elijah's life. And it's said, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the desert and he came to a broom tree and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. You're like, whoa, you're Elijah. You're this prophet. You're this godly man. Like you should, like that, that doesn't make sense. But listen what he says. He tells the Lord, he said, Lord, I have had enough. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. And then he laid down under the tree and he fell asleep. See, oftentimes we only want to talk about the mountaintop moments, but this is why we got to read the Bible because sometimes we find ourselves in a dark valley. And what we're gonna find in Elijah's story is this, is that God meets him right in this dark valley. Real quick though, here's the deal about Elijah. I just wanna point out three quick things that we need to pay attention in our own life. Sometimes we read the Bible and we go, that's Old Testament, there's nothing that it can point to me, there's nothing that it can speak to me. We believe this, that God's word is a living and active, the spirit wrote it and he has something to say. Three quick observations for us today if we wanna pay attention so that our hearts don't burn out. And so that we don't begin to run from the wrong things. First thing is this, real quick, is that there is a link between depression and depletion. There's a link between depression and depletion. Elijah had just had this mountaintop moment. Fire had fallen. He just ran 17 miles. And then one one woman begins to taunt him and says i'm going to kill you and it's going no you've seen god's faithfulness what's happening you know what's happening in elijah's life he's depleted he's worn down too many times we begin to believe that sometimes if we become followers of jesus that we'll just become invincible people and nothing will get to us i just want to remind you you and i we're human beings matter of fact listen to what it says in james chapter 5 verse 17 if you just study the word Elijah, it comes up in the New Testament a couple of times too. In James, the, the half-brother Jesus says this about Elijah. He reminds us, it says this, even though Elijah did great things, he says this, Elijah was a man just like us. That God did incredible things through him. But here's the deal. Elijah dealt with depression and he dealt with these deep things because he actually began to get depleted. This is why we got to pay attention to how we live our life and the rhythm of our life. Matter of fact, I got a question just for you to just pause and to think about for a moment. It's this. Is there something in your life today that you're running from? Or in your honest moment, you would just tell God, God, I've had enough. See, too many times we feel like we can't share that. But in Elijah's valley moment, he begins to have an honest prayer with God. God wants to meet you right there in your depletion, in your moment where you're overwhelmed. But another quick observation that I found here that began to lead Elijah into this valley is this. Elijah chose to live life alone. He began to live life alone. Listen to what it says in verse 3. It says, uh, Elijah not only was afraid on this, but it says this in verse 4, while he himself Or in verse 3, and he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. See, what happens is this, and and we're coming off this last season over the past couple years. And again, you don't even need Christian psychologists to agree with you on this. This is what all people know, it's this. You and I are not at our best when we're alone, are we? When you and I are isolated, specifically as the church, when I don't have brothers and sisters around me, I just know this. I am not at my best. I'm actually at my worst. And see, what a lot of times, this is what Satan loves to do. He wants to keep us isolated. He wants to keep all these walls from everything else. That's where he wants us to live in isolation, to feel like nobody else probably has done what we've done. Nobody else could know what's going on. And Elijah begins to remove himself. And the last thing is this. It's that comparison can open the door to depression. Listen to what he says in verse 4. He says, and when he went there, he prayed that he might die. And he said this, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. And then he says this, and I am no better than my ancestors. See, what happens is this. A lot of times, we don't even know it. But when you and I begin to compare, you know what happens? This is at least what happens in my heart. It's this. The more I compare myself to somebody else, here's what happens. The less grateful I am to God. And I just I stop being grateful because all I can do is this. I just compare and I start saying stuff like this. Well, why do they get to experience that? Right? And I don't get to do this. Right? And we begin to compare and we begin to do this. I'll just be honest. That's why I've got to limit social media. I know what it does to my own heart and soul. It, man, it just, it, it consumes me. I, I just become the biggest critic. I begin to compare and then all I am is this. I'm just not, I'm not grateful at all. And one of the things while we've done the resource uh, at minorsidecom slash depression is this for parents, we've begun to put resources there to help you because growing up, we didn't have social media, but, but parents, I just want to encourage you with this. You and I cannot delegate the responsibility of social media with our kids. You and I are responsible to help pastor and love them through. We just can't give the phone and go, good luck. I hope you don't screw up. That's not, that's not parenting. You and I have got to begin to step in and begin to pastor our kids and begin to see what they're taking in to their life. And some of you go, Nate, I love it, but I, I don't know how to do it. This is why we want to pay attention to how God meets Elijah in his valley. You may be in that valley today and I want to encourage you and give you hope that God meets Elijah here and he's here to meet you and I today here. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings Chapter 19, verse 5. It says, all at once, an angel touched Elijah and said, Elijah, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank. And then he laid down again. You know, one of the most spiritual things you and I can do is take a nap. You ever seen that on like Sunday afternoon? You're like, something's happening. System's shutting down, right? You know? And it's like, it, like, it doesn't matter. It's like on Sunday afternoon, it's just like, this, like, all of us, right? And, and there's something that's happening here because in the creation order, God works for six days. And on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. And in this moment, this is what God is doing. He's going, hey, Elijah, wake up, eat, drink, take a nap. And I'm like, praise the Lord, right? Yes, yes, right? And then he goes on, he says it again. He tells it, he goes, he, he, he begins to say, hey, he ate and he drank and he lay down again. Verse seven, then the angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched Elijah and said, get up and eat. And then here's why, you ready? For the journey is too much for you. The journey's too much for you. You know why I got into that dark valley between my freshman and sophomore year in college? Because I didn't realize the journey was too much for me. God never called me to just pour myself out without ever being filled back up. That's not to live in the rhythm of God. In Elijah's darkest moment, God meets him there and he goes, hey, here's some bread, here's some water, take a nap. Do it again. Here's why. Because the journey is too much for you. And then in verse 8 it says this. So he got up and he ate and he drank. And then here's the thing, you ready? And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. See, the beautiful thing about God is this. He meets us in our valley and he begins to minister to us and refuel us because he says this. I've got another mountain for you to climb. See, the good news for you and I today is this. We may find ourselves in the valley or you may find somebody in the valley, but the hope is this, is that God wants to meet you in the valley. And then he says, because I have more for you. And the journey that I have for you, it's too much for you. And so I want this relationship with you. This is the goodness of God, is that God meets us with grace in our most depleted moment. God meets you and I with grace. When the tank is empty, you may be here today and it took everything you had to make it here today it may take it may have taken everything you had just to turn this on online and we're glad you're tuning in but God meets you and I with grace he refuels Elijah and then he says this hey I've got another opportunity for you listen what it says here in verse 9 And there Elijah went into a cave and he spent the night And the word of the Lord came to Elijah and he asked this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Notice how God asked a deeper question, a question below the surface. Elijah, what's going on? Why are you here? What are you dealing with? What are you running from? I know you're running from Jezebel, but here's a deeper question, why? Why? Are you running? What are you doing here? Elijah responds, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. This is what I love about God. In Elijah's darkest moment, he shows up with his presence. In your darkest moment and my darkest moment, the presence of God does not leave us. And if you notice this, he says this. He goes, go out of the mountain here. Go out and stand on the mountain. And he begins to draw him out And then it says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth. Of the cave. See, it's God's presence and his word that begins to draw us out of the darkness. Too many times we feel like it's up to us to get out of our cave or to get out of the valley or out of our darkness. It is the presence and the power of God that meets us there and begins to walk us in this journey forward. And he begins to walk Elijah out. And then he says this, he gets him out there and then it says, then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Asking the same question. Elijah gives them the same response. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty and the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars and put your prophets to death, prophets to death with the sword and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Here's what's happening. God is trying to get Elijah to come face to face with what's really going on in the depths of his soul. You can count six different emotions that Elijah's facing here. He's experiencing fear, desperation, low self-esteem, anger, loneliness, and worry. All of that is driving him into this valley. And some of you are going, how do we begin to deal with this? This is what I found even in I'm learning on this journey as well is this. Here's how I have to deal with what's going on in the depths of my soul. It's this. So We got to name it to tame it. God says one of the ways that he wants to deal with our dark valley is this, is that you and I have to really say what's going on in our life. I'm in this learning cohort with some other leaders and pastors and the lady who's leading this, and there's another executive guy who's leading it, when every time we get together, our homework is this. She begins to, to check our homework. I know I'm 40 and I'm still doing homework, man. And, and uh, what's great is that she asks all of us, how are you doing? And oftentimes, this is what I would say the first couple of times, I go, I'm doing pretty good. She'd go, good's not an emotion. How are you doing? Hungry? I don't I like, I'm like, I, I don't know. And a lot of times this is what happens. You know, sometimes we just say these surface, like I'm doing good or I'm doing well. Those aren't emotions, and that's not really what's going on in the surface in me, and what she's after is this. Nate, if you really want to be healthy as a leader, and you really want to be healthy as a husband, and you really want to be healthy as a follower of Jesus, you're going to need to begin to name name what's really going on in the depths of your soul. I love, I was sharing this with some of our staff and one of the things they said is this, around their dinner table, some of their, our staff does this with their family, they just go around the dinner table and they say, hey, everybody, tell me what your high and low was. What's the high today? What was the low today? One of our staff, I love this, he does this with his family, happy and crappies. That's what they call it, right? And it's like, hey, hey what's a happy deal? What was a, what was a crappy deal today, right? And what they're knowing is this, because as a family, we got to begin to be real with what's going on. Because what we find is this, the more Elijah got real and honest with God, the more God began to change him. Our thought is this, the more we get real with God, we think the more God will probably hate us. Actually, the exact opposite happens. The more you get honest with God, the more you become like him because you're revealing the depths of your soul to him. See, this is the grace of God. This is the goodness of God. Because listen what he does next in verse 15. God's beginning to draw him out of the cave. In verse 15, it says, the Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came. Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Arab. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nibshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any, anyone who escapes the sword of Hazel and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. What he's telling this to Elijah is this, here's how I'm gonna lead you out of the valley. It's this, God has given you a purpose, Elijah, and a people. Even clinical studies show this, one of the leading things that lead us to depression is this, a lack of meaning and purpose in our life. And when you and I lack meaning and purpose, It's very easy for our lives to begin to spiral out of control. This is why God tells this to Elijah. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back the way you came. I want you to face those things. I don't want you to avoid them. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to raise people up so that you can have successors. See, this is our call as the church family. It's this, it's to connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ. See, God gives you and I a purpose when you and I don't have a purpose in our life. And not only that, God gives us a people. And not only does he give us a people, this is what I love about God. Listen how generous he is. In verse 18, he says this, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel for you, Elisha, or Elijah. You may feel all alone, but I've got 7,000 people waiting for you. See, the power of the church is this. You and I may feel like we are in a valley and we are by ourselves, and God says, This, no, I have created the church through Christ. You are not alone. One of the most powerful gifts that you can give somebody is this you ready? Just your presence. Just your presence. Hey, you're not alone in this valley, you're not in the struggle. By yourself. What's incredible is in 2 Kings chapter 2, God, when he gives Elisha to Elijah to be one of his best friends, Elijah tries to finish his life by himself. And in verse 2 of 2 Kings, it says this, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. They went down together. They went into what God had together. See, the joy and the honor and the privilege of being the church is this, that we get to step into the darkest valley of people's life and we get to bring the light of Jesus. We get to say, hey, listen, God's not done. He still has a purpose and he has people for you. So let me ask this question again where do you find yourself running today? Or maybe where in your honest moment, you're just going, God, I've had enough because our heavenly father, as he had the gentle whisper to Elijah, this is what I love about God. The gentle whisper of God became flesh and bone and he dwelled among us and he's with us today. See, when Jesus stepped into the world, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus stepped into the world when it was broken, not when it was perfect. Jesus stepped in when things were messy, not when everything was cleaned up. Because what Jesus did was this. He said, no, I've come in to begin to change people from the inside out. And this is what happened in Elijah's life. He began to let the words of Jezebel influence him more than the words of God. And here's what I wanna give you today. I wanna give you the words of Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 11. Matter of fact, I just wanna invite you just to close your eyes right where you are and just allow these words of Jesus to speak over you. Speak over you where maybe you just feel like you're going, God, I've had enough or I'm just on the run. And listen what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew chapter 11. He's honest with them and he's honest with us today. He says this to them and he says it to us. He says, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, in this moment, we need to hear your words today. More than our words, more than the words that have been spoken to us by other people, Jesus, in this moment right now, we pray that your words would resonate, begin to heal us, would begin to refresh us. That God, you're not asking us to run. You're not asking us to fix ourselves. God, you're just asking us to come to you. And so, Jesus, by your presence and by your power and by your spirit today, God, would you allow us the grace to just give you our weariness and burdens? We thank you for the story of Elijah. We thank you for what you've done in his darkest moments in Jesus. We thank you for what you've done for us in our darkest moments by going to the cross. We pray that we would hear your love and your grace over us this week. Jesus, would you have your way in us today? We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. And everybody said together, amen. May you walk in his light in the darkness this week. God bless y'all. We'll see you next weekend.